listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. It is Saturday, June 5th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, June 6th, 2021 on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, we are talking to Cooper Carraway, South Dakota AFL-CIO president about poultry worker struggles in his state, talking to some minor wi- miners' wives about scab and boss violence on the picket line down in Brookwood, Alabama, how it is good for working people in this state that our so-called anti-riot bill did not pass in Alabama. All this and more on today's Valley Labor report. So remember, folks, the North Alabama DSA has a necessities drive this Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue, right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. So bring by your non-perishable food items, your PPE, your clothes, blankets, all that good stuff, and all of your donations will be forwarded to the Mana House. You can follow at DSA North Alabama on Twitter for more information. If you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. And uh, if you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there. And I promise... This weekend, I'm going to clip segments, and you're going to start seeing them on the YouTube channel again next week. I've just been, we have just been so caught up uh, and so busy with other stuff. I haven't been able to clip the past, like, gosh, almost a month of shows I haven't clipped yet. So, uh, got to get that done. But, you know, this is a two man show, and you don't have to pay for it. We appreciate it if you do, but you don't have to pay for it. So, you know, in some ways, you get what you pay for. But uh, <laughs> we also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting 
streaming apps. We're behind on that as well. Going to be working on that. I'm, we're going to try to get caught up this weekend. Uh, but to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to the Valley Labor Report .transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website where you can buy our hats and our stickers, thevalleylaborreport.org. We've still got probably about 30 hats or so left. Not, uh, you know, we're, we're getting getting down getting down a little bit uh, on the supply. We bought 100 and we've sold a, sold a good bit of them. Uh, and I've got probably about 10 Ten hat orders that I need to mail out this week. Again, I'm, we're gonna gonna have a Valley Labor Report uh, uh, work weekend <laughs> this weekend. I think that's what I'm gonna be doing. Uh, if you don't want a hat though, but you still want to support us, the best way to do that is throwing us a couple dollars a month on Patreon.com/slash/The Valley Labor Report. So. Uh, on the line, we have Cooper Carraway. He is the president of the South Dakota AFL-CIO, and he is on the line now to talk to us about poultry workers fighting the boss in his state. Cooper, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. I'm very glad to have you. So, uh, fill us in on the situation. There's some there's some poultry plant workers uh, in your state that uh, there there was a big just just talk to us about what they've been dealing with. Uh, you know what have they been dealing with the last year? All right. So this is a this is a, actually a pork uh, processing plant okay. uh, in uh, in Sioux Falls uh, under Smithfield Foods. Um, so over the last year, uh, you know, the, the Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls, uh, uh, for a long time when the pandemic started, was actually the number one hotspot for the coronavirus uh, in the country. And if you looked at the list of the hotspots, every other uh, facility on the list were prisons, uh, and you had like one um, aircraft carrier out in the middle of the ocean. But everything else was prison. Uh, but number one on the list was the Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls. It was the only workplace on the list. All right. Um, and this is because management really did not take the coronavirus seriously. They were taking their cues from Donald Trump. They were taking their cues from Governor Christy Noem. Uh, and they were not taking the virus seriously. Months before the pandemic even hit Sioux Falls, the workforce, uh, the workers there at the plant uh, sounded the alarm. They said that they, they said to management that uh, you need to take the coronavirus seriously um, because the, the workforce is largely uh, immigrants and refugees. So they were in a unique position. They were getting uh, uh, information from, uh, from their home countries about how the coronavirus is affecting uh, their home countries. And they were raising the alarm and saying, okay, we need to be proactive. We need to put in these safety measures. And the bosses just closed the door in their face. Uh, fast forward uh, to today, over 1,200 of the workers in that one plant uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, and four of them died uh, just from that. And so entering into contract negotiations, uh, this, was, this was national news. Right? This is number one hotspot in the country. This is national news, uh, how poorly management handled uh, this issue. Uh, so heading into contract negotiations this year, everyone expected that this would be a smooth negotiation, that you know the, these workers had been called by their bosses essential workers and heroes and all these other things. 
and so they, they came in asking for modest pay increases uh, and whatnot. And management came back with, uh, with proposals that not only didn't provide the modest pay increases, uh, but actually is, is asking to, uh, for, for the workers to give up uh, several of their breaks uh, and several of the other things that, uh, that they already have. Um, and uh, the workers, you know, resoundingly um, voted down management's proposal uh, this week uh, 90, by 99%. That's insane. That's so. So, what are these? What does the pay scale look like for these? Uh, uh, for for these workers? Yeah. So, base pay at the plant is, is seventeen dollars, okay. uh, and for for the work, you know, that's that's yeah. that's underpaid. You know, seventeen dollars is is barely is barely a living wage uh, in uh, in South Dakota. Um, for for a single person, um, but a lot of these workers have families, uh, and so you need you definitely need uh, a base pay to be to be higher. Um, just just right across the border in Minnesota, uh, base pay is uh, nineteen dollars at the J at the JBS plant, um, and so the workers were asking, okay, it's, it's you know twenty thirty minute drive, so uh, it makes sense for base pay here to be nineteen dollars. Uh, and then it can we can adjust the pay scale. So you know you do have folks who've been there, you know, twenty years, you know, whatnot, making thirty dollars an hour or something like that. Uh, but it makes sense to adjust the base pay, um, and uh, the company is is not interested in those kind of things. And you said that the company's proposal was there was there was no, there weren't any improvements. It was all it was all cuts like across the board to their breaks to their pay everything. Yeah, so they're asking for concessions, um, and you know they're they're asking to eliminate one of the fifteen minute breaks. The workers are guaranteed two fifteen minute breaks in addition to their lunch, uh, and uh, management wants to cut that fifteen minute break. Uh, men, if you ask management, they would probably tell you that um, that they uh, want they they, they, they want to increase the vacation time because they did say they're going to give a couple extra vacation days. But in return, what they're asking for is the elimination of unpaid leave. So, like I said, a lot of these workers are are, are refugees, um, and so they use, uh, a lot of times they have to use their unpaid leave um, because they need to go back uh, to uh, to Africa. You know, they need to go back to Asia and spend time with their families or or see their families if there's a health issue or something like that. And they use their unpaid leave when they do that because they don't know when they'll be able to get back. Um, but, but the company is not paying it, uh, and so this is a system that's worked out well uh, up to this point. Um, and so, so the company will tell you, well, we're asking for, you know, we're, we're offering a couple more vacation days, but in exchange for that, we're asking for these workers not to be able to go back to their home countries, uh, and, and I see that as a concession. That's, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a concession. You know, these like these these workers to, to go back and visit their families in their home countries. I mean, they're not even, you know, they're not even asking for pay. It's just let me come back to my job when I when I'm able to get back. That doesn't sound like that's not that's not a big ask. It seems to me, and uh, you know, I mean, that's just the. 
the inhumanity of, of these bosses um, after has really been exposed in the pandemic. It seems to me, um, and, and through a lot of these contract negotiations that are being more publicized as as worker struggles are, are getting more uh, more coverage, I think in, in the in the media. But I mean, we can look, and, and we're going to be talking to Hayden Wright, one of the miners' wives, here in just a second about some of the violence that they've been seeing on the picket lines from scabs and bosses. But um, I mean. From the negotiations side down there, it's been insane. You know, the um, the chief negotiator for the uh, for the company has said that she reckons the miners down there get paid too much, and they were asking for concessions as well. Um, like after they went on strike, they gave them some meager, or they offered some meager ben- uh, improvements. But it wouldn't have even been; uh, it was a five-year contract, and it wouldn't have even been enough to keep up with inflation over the five years. You know, much less get them back what they lost in 2016. And and you know, as we're as we're coming out of this pandemic, as we are coming out of this this time where the miners and those um, uh, pork processing plant employees sacrificed so much for this country you know you said that the company was using this language of essential workers and heroes and things like that and and of course companies across the board have done that and and now you know i mean like it 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 it's insane that they are that they have the audacity after a year like this and the sacrifices that workers have made to ask for more instead of even offering meager gains. They're asking for more sacrifices from the workers. Yeah, you're right, and you know it just shows that bosses all over the country, um, uh, you know, have have the same uh, line of thought. Uh, and that is, you know, in in, uh, in Alabama, you know, the coal bosses, they say that they think that the workers are just part of the mine. And up here, uh, they say that the workers, they're just part of the plant. You know, they're just an extension of the machinery of the plant. Uh, they're not uh, in any way human, and, and they don't believe they deserve the rights that, uh, that uh, men and women and, and humans deserve. Um, and you know that's 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 just the way they think, and that's being exposed throughout the pandemic. Um, that that you know, the workers are just extensions uh, of of the machinery that, that they work on. Hey Cooper, this is Adam. I really like what you just said there. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of a phrase that we hear: human capital. Uh, and there's lots of that kind of talk that really dehumanizes people. And and like you said, just. Uh, conflates these workers as if they are just another machine in the plant. Uh, but something you mentioned in the intro about there were four people who died in this plant, over 1,200 cases of COVID in the plant, and management is actually seeking takebacks in this contract. Just, I, I know you can't share everything, of course, but to the extent that you can, what is, man, what is management's rationale for actually trying to claw back uh, important benefits in this contract after such a year? I think, uh, I think management probably is, is uh, thinking that they're the victim. Um, they're thinking that it's not the workers that are the victim because the workers are just part of the plant. So how can the plant be the victim? Management's thinking they're the victim. They're the ones who had to shut the plant down uh, several times. They're the ones that had to have the CDC come in and, and have an investigation, even though management didn't even cooperate with the investigation in a good faith way. Uh, they're the ones who had to lose profit. 
uh, and things like that. So management probably came to the table feeling like they're the listeners. Yep, that's um, right, Cooper. We're going to pick that up and, on the and, other side. Uh, Stay tuned. With David Story and Jacob Morrison. Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are talking to Cooper Carraway. He is the president of the South Dakota AFL-CIO about pork uh, processing plant employees, some of their struggles that they've been going through over the pandemic. And uh, the question that we accidentally threw him up into the into the break against, he was answering was, um, you know, what the, the the boss was asking for concessions in this contract instead of even meager gains for the workers after a year of sacrifice for their company and for their country. Uh, they asked for concessions they asked for more from the workers more sacrifices from the workers what was and, and you were telling us what their nas- rationale was and it was that 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 they were the victim was, was there anything else that you wanted to add to that no that's right uh, and, it, and it falls into that you know line of thought that the workers are just part of the plant part of the machinery uh and so they don't have savings uh, so management from their perspective uh, uh, sees themselves as the victim because they lost profits. They had to uh, pretend to uh, uh, participate in a CDC investigation. Uh, you know, they had to change up the way they did things. Uh, they lost, you know, uh, uh, things in their budget that they had projected years before and, and things like that. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the workers was part of the plant, so they're not the victims. Management came uh, to the negotiation table with a victim mentality. Right, right. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's insane. So they, so uh, the workers voted it down. What was the vote uh, against the contract that was offered? Uh, 99% to 1%. 99% of the workers voted no on the proposed contract. So what is the, and, and so there's, there's an implicit strike threat there. I mean, how much, you know, uh, like Adam said, you know, I, I don't know how much that y'all are going to be able to divulge at this point, but what was, what does the plan look like for these workers going forward to be able to win, you know, dignity and respect and fair wages and working conditions at this job? Yeah, so now uh, I imagine they're going to be head, heading back to the table next week, um, and uh, they'll probably be taking a strike authorization vote uh, around that time as well. Okay, and 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 this is something that that I'm I'm interested in as as somebody who who is active in um, you know in our federation, uh, the the state federation, and, and our local labor council. What uh, you know, I mean, you're here. Uh, uh, and and you talk to some of the local news about this about this struggle for one of the local unions in your federation. What are what else are the what what else is the South Dakota Labor Federation the the Sioux Falls Labor Council like? How are unions in the area, or is there a way at this point that they they're able to come together and support these um, these uh, uh, meat processing workers during these negotiations? Yeah, so it's the Federation's role to, uh, uh, you know, gather all the unions, all the worker organizations, and, and to your best ability, you know, the, the working class as a whole, uh, and build uh, solidarity for workers when they're going through something like this. Uh, 
Um, and so, you know, that's that's what I'm out here doing. That's what I'm doing with YouTube. That's what I'm doing with, you know, other media I've been talking to. I've got some other uh, shows lined up in the next couple of days. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out here trying to build solidarity uh, amongst the working class as a whole uh, to support these workers. Uh, and, I, you know, obviously as soon as there's a picket line, you know, I'll be working to make sure that all the unions um, in the state or in the area that can are sending folks uh, down some supplies, uh, and I'll be uh, uh, I'll be right there uh, on the picket line the entire time. Yeah, I, w- I want to thank you for you know sharing this struggle with us here in Alabama. Turn your mic up, Adam. I can't can't hardly sure. hear you. Can you hear me, Cooper? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing this struggle with us over here in Alabama. Um, You know, I think the pandemic, as Jacob mentioned, it really exposed a lot. And one of the things that really, you know, hit home for me was the amount of work that comes into actually maintaining our food supply. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these workers are some of the most vulnerable to really dangerous working conditions. And I think that you know, this pandemic, if there's anything good that can come out of it, I hope it's that more folks are aware of how our struggles are all connected. Uh, and what happens with these pork processing workers impacts our food chain. It impacts the wages in your region. Um, and I think that was a great point that just 30 minutes away, you have folks doing basically the same work for $2 an hour more. So, you know, I appreciate all that you're doing, and we want to send our love and solidarity out to those workers in South Dakota because we know their their struggle is very important, and it's connected to ours as well. Yeah, it is. And, and likewise, you know, just, just like I said earlier, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that, you know, the struggles up here, the, the folks that work in these plants, the folks who work around South Dakota, we understand that uh, our lot is tied in, our, our prosperity is tied in with making sure that the miners uh, in Alabama are victorious. Uh, and, uh, and you know, we believe that with, with, with all of our hearts, and we understand that, and we know you guys feel the same way. Uh, and if, if the working class can maintain that uh, those ties and that bond uh, across the country and across the world, uh, then all of us will be victorious one day. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I mean that's that that's exactly right. Uh, the, the, and and that was one of the themes of that of that long live stream that we had whenever we would talk to the miners is 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 how how interconnected that community is and 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 then brought broadly across the country. You know, I mean every time that workers lose, that gives another company one more example where they can point to to their worker where their workers are fighting for good wages and working conditions they can point to this loss over here even if it's halfway across the country and say look do you think you're better than these workers look what they accepted and on the contrary every time that workers win even if it's across the country Workers can point to it and say, look, boss man, these workers are being paid a fair wage. Their company isn't going bankrupt. Their employer still makes a good bit of money. Why can't we have what they have? We know that it can be done, so we can do it. Every win for workers anywhere is a win for workers everywhere. And and in the same way that a loss for workers anywhere is a loss for workers everywhere. I mean, because exactly like you said, brother, um, 
all of our struggles are interconnected in, in so many ways. In the in the interpersonal way, as in we're all people, uh, children of God, and I want to see you prosper and do well. But also in the in the material sense that when there is more money flowing into my pocket instead of some New York hedge fund, I'm going to spend more money in my local community and the local retailer, the local grocery store, the local restaurant is going to be able to prosper more. Then they're going to be able to pay their workers more. They're going to be able to expand. They're gonna, I mean, it's just there are so many ways that workers winning is going to be able to help other workers win. And and so I'm you know that's something that we want to make sure that we hit home and I'm so glad that you said that. Yeah, I'm with you, brother. As 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 the greed and exploitation of the bosses flows freely across all state borders and international borders, so too must the solidarity of workers flow freely across all state borders and international borders. That's right. And this is this being a, a heavily refugee workforce that you're discussing here this makes it a immigrant justice issue and a mm-hmm. racial justice issue uh, because we all know that bosses prey upon those sorts of uh, divisions and vulnerabilities to exploit workers uh, coming from those backgrounds so we really um, you know we hope to see some some victory some good news hopefully you can call us very soon with some great news coming out of south dakota for these folks i look forward to it brother all right, yeah. Uh, Cooper, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to leave us with? All power to the working class. That's a good way to wrap That's it up. That's a good way to wrap it up. Yes, sir. All right, folks. We have been talking to Cooper Carraway. He is the president of the South Dakota AFL-CIO about meat processing plant worker struggles in his state. They uh, went through a pandemic. 1,200 of them contracted the coronavirus. Four of them died. And, uh, and the bosses are asking for concessions, and they aren't taking it. So we'll be coming back uh, with more. Stay tuned. Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are joined on the show today by Queen of the Coal Miners' Wives, Hayden Wright. Hayden, thank you for calling in. Hey, Jacob. Good, to, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. So, um, just to keep everybody keep everybody on the same page, um, you can. Can you turn the uh, the music is still going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the to keep everybody on the same page, just a reminder that coal miners down in Brookwood are still on strike. There are eleven hundred of them that are walking the picket lines. Uh, they are not going into the work into work. They have walked off the job from Warrior Met. They are now into their eighth week. They are into their eighth week striking against Warrior Met and. Um, the company isn't budging, so we can't budge in our support for the workers, for the union, and for the strike. Uh, so we're still we're still covering it, and we're still doing everything that we can uh, to support them. And um, and this week has been a week filled uh, with violence, but 
not from the union <laughs> like like so many would have you believe uh it has been violence perpetrated against uh striking coal miners by scabs and bosses uh so hayden can you talk to us a little bit about what is going on at the picket lines down in brookwood yes this yes actually had two vehicles Attack strikers on our picket lines at two seconds left station. The first one happened at 99, which is also 216. We had a lot of pass by the picket line around and then come back and run through the side of the road. They ran a barrel, they ran the chamber. Hayden, uh, you're you're breaking up. Yes. Ju- you're breaking up oh. just a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if there's something that you can do with What's your that? phone or. Um, Is this better? I think so. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. So what was? We yeah. We had a truck turn around in order to get on the correct side of the road to run through a picket line. There was two men there. One of them was struck with a fire barrel. Actually, his wife is part of our auxiliary. That happened early in the morning, and then yesterday, a little bit later in the morning, we had a boss intentionally hit one of the union representatives that isn't even from our location. He is actually down from West Virginia supporting the strike and has been here for a month. Mm. That's in, that's that's just crazy. That I mean that they're I, I, I mean they're going out of their way to hit uh, uh, folks on the picket line. And and this is something that Kim Kelly pointed out in her tweet. You can go. You can find Hayden Wright on Twitter at Hayden Wright. It's H A E D E N Wright. Um, and, and, and she's got the videos on there. And and something that Kim pointed out when she shared your video is that. Y'all oftentimes, like, being on the picket line is kind of a family affair down there. You know, you've got, uh, you've got your family, you've got wives, you've got children, you've got grandparents on the picket line, and, uh, and, 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 people, and, and they're trying to run people over. That's correct. My, my own children have been there. And this is completely unacceptable. We're trying to demonstrate a right that we legally have to protest. And in Alabama, there's statutes that say we're not allowed to have anything to defend ourselves on the picket line or we can be arrested. That's why. And that that is, (laughs) I mean, that's insane because Alabama... I mean, I think that that kind of illustrates the degree to which the concern of our political class is a, is not about workers. Because Alabama is a stand-your-ground state. It's a state that has in our um, in our laws that uh, if if you feel if you're just a citizen and you feel threatened, if you feel that your life is in danger, you are legally authorized to use deadly force against a person and we can talk about you know whether or not exactly unless you're actually using it as a a peaceful assembly and then you have no rights 
Exactly right. I mean that that's exactly right. You know, I mean we can talk about the the benefits and and the cons of having a stand your ground law, but where does it not apply? It doesn't apply when you're on the picket line and when you have a real and legitimate like there there's actual real threats on y'all's life, but y'all can't have weapons on the picket line uh, because it's it's um it's classified as a protest and you're not allowed to have weapons at protests i mean you know (laughs) i mean i wonder why that is that you're not able to to defend yourself when you're fighting when you're fighting peacefully for your rights but uh you know well and you'll notice the guy that was directing traffic which is of course you know a paid person from where you're met the reason the man was crossing the street is he called him over to him to ask him a question Mm mm-hmm so the guy directing traffic there called this man across the road and then let a truck hit him and did nothing. Stood there. Right. Right. I mean, that's, and I saw that. This is somebody that's ostensibly supposed to be, you know, a security person. They're not, are they, are, are they a sheriff, like a Tuscaloosa County sheriff or Jefferson County sheriff? Or are they like paid, high, or are they private security? I believe that he is a private security. I do not believe that he's actually a police officer for the county. We're still trying to get clarification on that because you couldn't see his face or the front of his shirt. Mm-hmm. Right, right, okay. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, that's that's exactly right. You know, you can see it in the video where uh, yeah. there's this person who's, you know, even if he's a private security guard, he's ostensibly supposed to be, like, enforcing laws and making sure that nobody gets hurt and things like that. And he, there was there was absolutely no, uh, you know, there, there was no indication on his part that he wanted to do you know that he wanted to do anything to stop violence from happening to the picketing miners. Now, after that happened, he got in between the uh, the the strikers and the cars so that they couldn't, you know, so that they couldn't defend themselves. But he was exactly, not, yeah. But he was not at all interested in, in making sure that the the strikers did not get hurt. And I think that's a big misconception that I'm saying, too, about what we were talking about earlier, about having our children on there personally this morning on Facebook, which I tend to avoid because that's more drama than what I like to have to deal with. We have someone with a fake account that was like, well, you shouldn't have had your children on the picket line anyway. Mm. And I was like, well, obviously you don't know UMWA history or really the history of the labor movement as a whole. Right. Because historically, change happens when women, children, families take a stand on the picket line. That's exactly right. People need to know that when our husbands signed that contract at Warrior Met, mm-hmm. that contract and the unfair labor practices didn't stop when they signed in and signed out at work. Right. That affected our entire family. Right. So we're all fighting this. Y'all are all finding this, and why shouldn't, uh, you know, I mean, picket lines should be safe for striking workers' families to be there. The only reason that it wouldn't exactly. be safe for them to be there is because of bosses and scabs attacking y'all. And and so, That's you know... That's victim blaming right. to me, to even make those comments that, well, you shouldn't have brought your kids. That is blaming the victim. 
Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's like, it's like telling, uh, you know, when you hear about somebody being sexually assaulted, it is like the first question you ask is, what was she wearing? You know, I mean, we, we, exactly. we now accept, you know, that's not okay. It doesn't matter what she was wearing. She, uh, you know, a woman deserves to be able to be in public without being accosted. And in the same way, Workers and their families have a right to be able to protest and have a picket line without worrying about being attacked by scabs and bosses. Yeah, exactly right. And then his follow-up was, he tagged me and he was like, well, what does it have to do with you? (laughs) So I informed him, I said, well, first of all, I head up the auxiliary for two of the locals Mm-hmm. Second of all, I'm doing well past my 16 hours a week for our union. Right. So I will defend my union brothers and my union sisters, not just at Warrior Met, but at any union that's being attacked that way. That's exactly right. And that goes to what What does it have to do with you? I mean, that ties in exactly to where we ended with Cooper Carraway from South Dakota. All struggles of workers are really, you know, I mean, I can't stress that enough how interconnected we all are and how, you know, the you know, if y'all lose, you know, knock on wood, God forbid, but if y'all lose this fight then the next coal mines that negotiate a contract are going to be able to point to y'all and say, look what they accepted. What makes you think you're better than them? And then your communities are going to suffer because the local grocers, the uh, local retailers, the local restaurants aren't going to have as much money coming in because they're, the, uh, you know, this is a coal mining town. The the people with the best income are going to lose a lot of it. And I'm, it, it's exactly. just so, I mean, across, across county lines, across state lines, across country lines, all of our struggles are, are connected. And even, and I mean, you're more than, more than even me or, or, or Adam or David or Cooper in South Dakota, but you especially, but we're all connected and we're all invested because we're all workers. And when it, when workers win, then we all win. And not even just mining, but if they see a company and a corporation with stockholders getting away with this and they're treating workers this way and there's no local media coverage, mm-hmm. this is going to be for all unions across all labor organizations. That is giving people the grounds to say, hey, it's okay if we treat people like this. No Mm -hmm. one is going to stand up and stop it. No one's going to stand up to us. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, that's been this race to the bottom that we've seen across our economy is, you know, companies competing on just how much they can get away with. And, you know, this violence on the picket line is so unacceptable. And unfortunately, it's something we've seen more and more in recent years of people using their vehicles directed at protesters. Uh, So, you know, we just we hope and pray everyone stays safe down there. And we appreciate you getting the word out and shedding light on this. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to we're going to bring you on for Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we're, we're going to bring you on. I've got just a couple more questions for you on the other side of this break. If you could stay on the line. Folks, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We are talking to Hayden Wright down in Brookwood, Alabama. And we'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, 
Adam Keller. Uh, we are on the line now with Hayden Wright. She is uh, queen of the coal miners' wives down in Brookwood, Alabama, giving us a report from the picket line. Um, so, you know... Uh, one more thing on the, you know, on, on the violence that y'all have been seeing from the scabs and the bosses. How has it, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned that you knew the wife of, of one of the people that was hit, and 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 of course, you know, how how has it, how has dealing with that affected y'all's families like emotionally and uh, you know psychologically and, and and all of that. Well, I would say one thing that the strike has done, it has brought a lot of the wives from Warrior Met together. Because, honestly, if you haven't had a spouse work there, if you're not familiar with what it's like to have a husband that works 12 hours, six, seven days a week, you really don't know the toll that takes. Right. It's hard to explain to people who haven't lived that. And I really think that we've come together as a group. Like, I love all the wives. Like, we're one group... I see them as being my family. Mm-hmm. We're all very supportive of each other. We all are putting in hours on the line. We have some ladies that are out there every time their husband's on the line, they're with them. We have ones every time we're doing pickups for the strike pantry. Every time we're unloading. Every time we're giving out bags. They're there willing to help out. Mm-hmm. And right. even the ones who can't physically be there. Because you know some of these guys are driving two hours even to get to this job. They're still supporting each other on social media. They're reaching out. They're making sure everyone's okay. And that's what people need to understand. That's what a union gives you. A union gives you that support system. A union gives you that family that we're going to take care of each other, that we respect each other, and that we're going to make sure that you're okay. Right. Right. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's such a – you know that that's that's such a good example of what unions can be and what unions can do. I think. Can you talk to us about some of the some of the ways that uh, that the wives have been supporting their uh, uh, you know supporting the strike and like talk to us about your strike pantry that, that y'all have going on right now and and um, you know what what that has has been able to do for the strike and what it's been like to be a part of that because I I think that's like so cool that, that y'all y'all have been able to do that and that's been like a uh, you know a bottom-up kind of thing is my understanding like y'all you and, and, and some other wives just got together and we were like hey we want to we want to support the strike and we're going to do this, right? I mean, there wasn't like a directive from the international that came down and, and told y'all to do this, right? That's correct. Actually, a few wives had started getting donations at number four's local. And we they realized quickly that, hey, we're going to need more help. This We have too many people. We can't just do this with a few. Right. So then um, I reached out to Larry Spencer, and I was like, hey, we need to do something to support these guys. We need to get the strike pantry up and going to where we can supply it to everyone. So we set up the PayPal account. It was amazing the support that we received from that. Um, we set up with Grace Klein, and they are doing donations for us every other week. So we have about... 25:30 between all the auxiliaries that are pretty much there every week because we're making at least 200 bags a week. We give them out a lot of times at the rallies. We give them out at the hall. 
Mm-hmm. This last week, we made hot dogs and chips for everyone at the rally. So about 300 hot dogs and chips for the families to come because our rallies are at 6 o'clock at Tenny Hill. So mm-hmm. everyone's welcome to attend those. Um, we're also working even on back to school. Mm. Because we don't want the children to suffer or not have what they need because right. of the strike either. Right, right. So it's really important, and it's really brought a lot of us closer together. And I don't think people realize, um, local for 2397, which is number seven mine, they've had it on Gouillery for about 31 years. Uh, their president, Ms. Ellen, she's amazing. But we just formed the auxiliaries, which combined number four mine and number five mine. So we actually haven't been an auxiliary, an official UMWA auxiliary, but for a few weeks because we had to elect officials and those mm-hmm. type of things. So y'all, so we've been working hard right behind in. the I mean, scenes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Trial by fire on that uh, mm-hmm. to j- jump in right in the middle of the struggle. And I, something you said about growing closer together, um, I think that's something that's pretty universal in the labor movement. That the relationships you forge in struggle, when you are you know deep in a fight and you have each other's backs, those are relationships that that sometimes are even deeper than family uh, because you've been there together and and been through the good, the bad, and the ugly of a, of a struggle. Yes. And that's something that, you know, that is the best of the labor movement. And, and for those, I know there are a lot of listeners who maybe have never belonged to a union or, you know, don't even know where to go to find a union. Mm-hmm. Maybe you work in, in non-union uh, industries. That is one of the most important things about the labor movement. It's not just, you know, that on average we have better wages, better benefits. It's the relationships that you are in a community. And when we say, you know, sister and brother, that's not just, you know, talk. That's that's real. We, we have each other's mm-hmm. backs. Um, and I think that's one of the things I've witnessed with y'all down at Brookwood, because you don't have a choice. You got to have each other's backs uh, to go through this kind of struggle, because it is a pretty epic struggle. I mean, eight weeks and the, yeah. the greed that this company has demonstrated is remarkable, even by contemporary standards, because we got mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of greedy corporations in this country, in this world right now. But uh, Warrior Med just exactly. And we're not even asking for more. We're just asking for some back of what we had that we gave up. Y'all are just trying to catch up. Same warrior met. Yeah. I mean that's it's that that is one of the things that I have the least patience for is the narrative about the greedy worker and especially the greedy union worker because time after time after time you see even union workers you see workers all all across the board sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice for their companies and for their countries and for their families um, and. and and then it's the companies that are never willing. It's the executives that are never willing to do the same. You know, I mean, UAW is one of the is one of the prime examples of of people saying that uh, they have that that the UAW bargained themselves out of a job or something. And it's their fault that, that jobs are going overseas. But if you actually look at what happened, uh, you you can look in 2008 when the when everything crashed. UAW the workers. 
workers voted to accept collectively so much concessions. I mean, cuts to their wages, cuts to their benefits, cuts to their health care, everything across the board to save, uh, along with tax breaks and subsidies from the taxpayer. But they took a lot of sacrifices as well to save the big three auto, U.S. automakers. And what did the executives at the big three U.S. automakers do? Uh, what did they sacrifice? Nothing. They got stock buybacks after that. And then when they went on strike back in 2018 and I went and walked the picket lines, I had some people that had the nerve to tell me that they're going to strike themselves out of, the, out of a job. And, that's, and I hear the same thing about y'all down there when y'all yeah. sacrificed, mm-hmm. y'all sacrificed so much in 2015 and 2016 for this company. And the CEO, after they went bankrupt, the CEO, the board of directors say the same. They did not take a pay cut. They're making more than they ever have. And now they're at, they are refusing to give y'all back just what you had, much less to give you like some sort of bonus, some sort of pay back for all the sacrifices that you made over the last half a decade. I mean, it's I I, I, I have no patience for for the the greedy worker narrative. It's just it's totally false. It's it, it has never happened. Workers have never asked for too much. No, if anything, workers don't ask for enough. That's because exactly we've right. been so taught not to value our own labor and what we're doing for these corporations. Right. Yeah. Because where does it end? I mean, it's always it's always more that they want to take. It's always less that they want to offer. And it seems to never end. Uh, And that's you know, I think that the struggle you guys are engaged in is a microcosm of our entire economy. Um, There's really so much about the struggle in Brookwood uh, represents so many other struggles across the country. And uh, on a personal note, I want to shout out Hayden. I hope I don't put you on blast too much, but Hayden is also a full-time <laughs> English teacher. So yeah. uh, in yeah. addition to um, <laughs> leading up these auxiliary efforts and busting her tail for you know, 10, 20 hours a week extra just to help feed her, her comrades down there, she's also a full-time teacher. And, yeah. and teachers, that's another good example of workers where – by and large, everyone's there for the right reasons and doing what they believe is best. And unfortunately, it's too often taken advantage of by those in power. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hayden, we're coming up on the end of this segment. Where can people go to donate to the uh, to, to your strike pantry fund? For the strike pantry, I have a PayPal. You can find the link on my Twitter. Um, Kim has shared it as well. I know that you guys, I think, have shared it too. And then for international, for the strike aid funds, mm-hmm. they don't have an online donation platform, but I also have their address posted on my Twitter as well. Okay. And what's your Twitter account? It, mine is just Hayden Wright. H-A-E-D-E-N. D-E-N. Yep. W-R-I-G-H-T, yes. All right. Folks, go find Hayden Wright on Twitter. Make sure you donate to the Strike Pantry Fund. Is there anything else that you want to leave us off with before you before you head out? No, I just want to thank you so much for your continued support and solidarity that everyone has shown to us. We wouldn't be able to keep holding on one day longer if it wasn't for everyone joining together with us. 
That's exactly That's right. right. So, folks, make sure that it's you go pleasure. and it's absolutely our pleasure. We would uh, we are so happy to be able to do it. And uh, so, folks, make sure that you go donate to their strike pantry fund. Uh, make sure that you follow her for updates on, from the picket line on Twitter. She has a fantastic account, always sharing good information from down in Brookwood. And we're going to be right back with a story about uh, some other meat workers from uh, uh, from a immigration lawyer out in California has called in. Uh, going to be talking to Ken, uh, Ken Martinez Gomez. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Stop bleeding Alright folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller. We are uh, we we've had a, a great show today. I think we've been talking we talked to Cooper Caraway about some uh, meat processing plant workers in South Dakota. We talked got a picket line update from Hayden Wright down in Brookwood, Alabama, and we've got a caller on the line, uh, Ken uh, uh, Ken from California he is uh, he's an immigration lawyer isn't that right Ken uh, and that's part of what answers into what I do but I'm actually a workers comp lawyer Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Workers' comp lawyer, I appreciate you calling in. Ken has been a uh, listener of the show for quite a while. He knows, uh, you, you know David, right? That's how you found out about the show? Yes, uh, David was really approachable. And the valley is such a common term, so I thought you were talking about the valley in California, and you told me it's a valley out there, so that's how, roundabout way, we got to know each other. <laughs> that's funny. Well, as we've said, our workers are, uh, our worker issues are all related, so whatever's going on out in California uh, definitely resonates right. here in the Tennessee Valley, and uh, Ken, also just want to thank you for your patience. Uh, this is the first show with me running the boards without David here to keep me straight, tell me what to do when I screw <laughs> up, so Ken, thank you. I'm so glad I actually have you on the phone line, and we can hear you, and you can hear us. That is a miracle. So well, it all takes a team effort, right? That's right. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So Ken, you know, speaking of, of uh, the Valley, you know, California worker struggles being um, being connected. You said that you had a story about um, about some poultry plant workers in your state, right? That's correct. Out at Foster Farms in Fresno, anybody can look this story up. But there was a cover up of a COVID outbreak among Latino uh, poultry workers. And what happened is the following. Uh, OSHA was in charge last year to, you know, do supplies inspection as to OSHA uh, COVID protocol. And what happened is a local county executive, uh, government representative, found out that OSHA was going to come out and tipped off uh, Foster Farms. So they didn't want it. I was get to know what was going on with the COVID outbreak among Latino workers. And this is crazy. And the California Latino Legislative Caucus put out a press conference about two months ago. And it can be found at either California Assembly Democrats or California Senate Democrats YouTube page. And it gives a full press conference and release on this tragic cover-up. 
Well, Ken, hell, it's hard enough to get OSHA to come out to begin with, but then to tip off the workplace that they're coming, I mean, that's that's egregious. Yeah, Fresno, trying not to be offensive, but Fresno is very much like a red state, even though it's within California. Might as well call Fresno a red state. So, and you said it was the local government there that caught wind of OSHA's uh, planned inspection and they tipped off the factory? That is correct. That's the issue of the bad collaboration. And like I say, it's kind of like a red state where government is often part of the corporate machine. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, especially at the local level, uh, right. so many of these local politicians and, and let's face it, most folks don't know who some of their local, you know, county commissioners or city council members are. Uh, but I can guarantee you the big industrialists in town know who they are because, right. you know, they take them out for drinks and coffee all the time and uh, collaborate on what gets brought up twice a month on the agenda. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, what is so what? What's it looking like at this point? I mean, how are they gonna? How are the workers there? Uh, you know, are they unionized? Like, wh- what is their plan moving forward? Well, there's a lot of intimidation, and there needs to be follow up. But for the fact that the Fresno Bee, at the time of the issue, brought the story to light, and then later, probably like five months later. The Latino Legislative Caucus made a press conference on this very issue and that it should be investigated. It really stayed unknown. Hmm. So it's still ongoing, active investigation. And we'll see if there's any legislation or more direct intervention from Sacramento, the state capital. Hmm. So it's one of those stories that hits the media, sounds sexy for a few days, and can stay out of everybody's mind unless people say, hey, that's wrong. we got to do more. Right. Right. And that, you know, I mean, the, the theme of this show, I think, today has been how connected our worker struggles is. And you mentioned the Fresno Bee, which is which I'm assuming is a local newspaper. And that the 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 ability for people locally to embed themselves in in the community and to have an understanding of what is going on in the community and be able to do this real investigative uh, work is so important and that's one of the great catastrophes of the 21st century is the destruction of local journalism and the uh, the absolute destitution of these institutions and why what uh, unions like the News Guild are doing is so good and so important because we need to be able to preserve these institutions like the Fresno Bee, like the Huntsville Times and, and, and places like this so that we have somebody that we're paying that, that, that gets a living wage uh, that is able to live comfortably so that they can they can do this, like you said, this work that, that may be sexy for a day, but how long did that work that was sexy for a day take? You know, that took that that, that uh, almost certainly took months of tracking and investigating and and following up with people 
and and that's something that's just simply not going to be profitable if you uh, if you come at it like a like a like a capitalist would, like an asset management firm, you know. And and so we need to have, uh, you know, we need to have more worker control over these organizations, over these institutions, and and you know the 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 ability for journalists to live and to live comfortably is so you know is so intertwined with the ability for poultry plant workers to be able to live and live comfortably because if if these poultry plant workers don't have the people at the Fresno Bee to do these investigations then that's one more way that the boss is going to be able to pull one over on them without anybody knowing or without anybody coming to their aid I agree, and I really appreciate the efforts of Hayden, your previous uh, interviewee, because it's a lot about what the community does, because the workplace is part of the community, and sometimes getting these stories out is showing the relationship or the intersectionality of young people's faith between COVID and other dangerous exposures to workers that they in turn bring home to their families and affect the community. So I think an effective strategy is for people like Hayden and other good community people that may not even work there can raise to their representatives that their community is getting sick because of some nonsense and unsafe behaviors at a local plant. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Ken. And and what you said, it's also in this story in particular, it's an intersection of weak regulation of our industries uh, and local government collusion with local industry to keep that regulation weak. And so, yeah, I think I think that's an excellent point. And I think it is, um, you know, that's something we're trying to do with this show to elevate worker struggles and, and highlight those. You know, we're just a couple guys doing a radio show. Uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we do have such a deficit in terms of media, especially media that will cover labor issues, workplace issues with real integrity and actually, you know, follow stories, investigate mm-hmm. stories. Uh, it's a lot easier to crank out an article that's like, you know, 13 quotes from a press conference right. or, you know, these listicle type articles that that are clickbait, but, you know, are short on substance, long on links and <laughs> advertisements, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think it takes people like you, Ken, who, who are actually paying attention and are willing to, you know, step outside their comfort zone or, or take time out of their day to spread the word about these kind of issues like you said i mean it is all a team effort and that's not just putting on this radio show it's Mm -hmm. actually making a difference in the lives of working people it is a team effort right and that's why and that's you know i just want to emphasize how important the the actual like like real you know real journalists and reporters are because like what we do is almost sort of news aggregation you know i mean we don't have but we've got like jobs you know i mean we don't have time to go you know like we have other jobs we don't have time to go and really hunt down a lead we can all that we can do with this show and throughout the week is lift up work that other people are doing we don't have time to actually go into go into communities outside of our own we're in our own community and we have some you know we we have some amount of of inside knowledge there but outside of that all that we can do is is lift up the work that other people are doing and that's why you know having institutions like local news 
newspapers or like freelance journalists like Kim Kelly who are able to you know uh, to scrape together a living doing what she does is is just I mean like I can't I can't say enough how much I value the work of Kim Kelly and folks like her that are actually going out there and doing this work as their job like that's so I mean it takes and it unfortunately takes so much bravery because it's such a precarious industry um and and I, I just have so much respect for folks like that and and there's so much value in it I mean so much value there yeah you're absolutely right and I just want to remind folks since you talk about your relationship with AFL-CIO that they have something that discovered recently which is called the Union Lawyers Association, and they're trying to encourage people breaking into the uh, employee uh, side of labor relations. And AFL-CIO is obviously very good to follow. So if people want to follow up, whether young law students or new lawyers or think about law school, you know, unions have great opportunities to help people that also take it to court and make the laws work. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. You're kind of reading my mind because I was going to thank you for, for what you do. I know attorneys get a bad reputation sometimes, uh, but we need good attorneys mm-hmm. on our side uh, because we can't win our struggles in just one arena. We, you know, we, of course, organize in the workplace. We engage in, you know, at the ballot box, uh, in the streets, but in the courtrooms as well. And as someone who has worked closely with attorneys over the years, uh, I mean, I, I, someone who actually has a heart for their clients uh, and consider their clients to be strictly working people, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know, you know, you mentioned workers' comp. That is an uphill battle for so many working people who get hurt on the job. It can be a nightmare logistically and and just bureaucratic loopholes to jump through. Uh, So shout out to what you do. Uh, And and also if if, uh, Mr. Sweat, who called in last week, young up-and-coming uh, legal student yeah. uh, helping out with, with the labor movement down there in Brookwood. We need young, uh, smart folks who want to enter the law profession to join our side. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go to the dark side. I know yeah. you're going to have a lot of loans, um, and it's very, very tempting to want to go to the dark side and, and work for management, work for these uh, you know evil, polluting, greedy corporations corporations but regular people need attorneys too because we get hurt on the job we get discriminated against on the job uh we get cheated out of pay and we need help and so what folks like you do uh and and by encouraging others to join that uh, it really means a lot and and i appreciate Mm -hmm. you saying that yeah thanks a lot justin for the community you guys already have good relationships with local workers comp attorneys and most places, you don't pay out of pocket to hire workers' comp attorney. It's a percentage of the ultimate settlement, like you hear about in personal injury cases. Mm. And it's limited and regulated to what the attorney can finally get. So it doesn't cost anything to check it out. So many people think, man, I don't have 300 bucks for a consultation. It's supposed to be for free, at least in California and many other areas. Right. Yep. That that's a that that's a uh, great great note uh, to to wrap that up on. Thanks thanks so much for calling in, Ken. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, take care. All right.
All right, so folks, uh, that was that was Ken. He's from California. He is a workers' comp attorney, and that's so that's um, you know the the work that he does, the work that Daniel does is. You know that, that it's just so important uh, to for folks to be able to, um, you know, to you know. I mean, such as it is, there is a law, and we've got to have people. Uh, we've got to have people on our cases, and so, uh, you know. So if if you're wanting to be a lawyer, you should um, you should be a lawyer for workers, not for the boss. So, uh, folks, we've got one more segment. If you want to give us a call, the phone number is one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are coming to you live online and on the radio on WVNN and the Huntsville Decatur Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. Uh, we have had, I have really enjoyed the show today. We've had a lot of, uh, you know, worker, and the theme across everything is has been it, it, and it wasn't like we planned this actually uh i was uh i realized you know we, we were putting together the show yesterday because we've been so busy this week and we were like oh no we haven't put, put together the show and so it was totally you know it's just i saw things that i wanted to talk about and so i asked people to call in and and it's amazing how like a really clear theme has risen out of out of these kind of impromptu interviews that that, that we've done today and, and the guests that we've had call in, which is that workers' struggles are connected, like in a real, material, and intimate way. When workers win, it's good for everybody. And when workers lose, it's bad for everybody. And, I mean, that's just – it's so um, – you know, I don't know if, if 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 I could think of one theme for the entire show, almost I would I would probably want that to be one of them, and for to hit home, because people, the boss, and our political class want to do everything that they can to make us think that we aren't all in this together that a win for a fry cook at mcdonald's is going to be bad for you instead of being good for you you know i saw a tweet the other day that said um i'm a good i'm i'm a union worker i'm a journeyman and i'm making you know 20 something dollars an hour or something like that and if a fry cook at at mcdonald's made 15 an hour dot 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 that would be great and I would be really happy because we're all workers and we're all in this together you know and that's the attitude that we all need to have because it doesn't help anybody except the boss except these you know New York hedge fund types uh, to have workers living in poverty and destitution um, 
it just doesn't it doesn't help anybody it doesn't help our community it doesn't help their families and it doesn't help us and so we need to and and that's and that's why I've been so happy with with the way that that, that today's show has worked out because I think that, that we've really been able and the guests have really been able to pull together these threads from across the country from Brookwood Alabama to Sioux Falls South Dakota to Fresno California I mean all of us are connected like I mean, like it's, you know, I'm, uh, I'm almost getting a little bit emotional, but it's like, it's true. Every, it's so, it's so important that people understand that and, and that, and that we, um, and that we forge a, uh, a movement and a politics that understands that and that recognizes that, whether that be inside or outside of any one party or the electoral system or not, uh, I'm much more interested in fostering that kind of movement in our workplaces, and and because that's where we have the most power um, is at our workplaces. You know, you can go vote. Uh, you, you you can go vote, and a lot of times, all that's going to do is uh, change the flag that's plastered on the bombs right that that kill innocent children overseas but uh you know but in your workplace your vote for a union or not for a union actually has a real material impact on yourself your life your family and your community in a way that that oftentimes it doesn't have at the ballot box which is not to undermine the importance of voting in elections and that and that we should vote in elections and we should understand who we're voting for and what they're going to do and we should hold them accountable after elections but unions and and working class organization is is a much faster and more efficient and 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 a better place to spend your time i think yeah i, I agree with people. you jacob i think you're hitting on something that i've really been thinking about a lot uh, especially this past year or so and you know not to get too philosophical with it but it is about building a movement that is centered around humanity and our shared humanity uh, and I mean love and empathy, mm-hmm. which uh, you know I've said it before that solidarity is basically the social expression of love. Um, that's the sort of movement that we're trying to contribute to, and it's the sort of movement that I think we need to address the many many crises we face in this country, in this state, uh, in this local community, and really around the world. Uh, so much. You know, particularly in these last few decades in the United States, so much is centered around the individual. Mm-hmm. And we have a hyper-individualistic society. Um, you know, I think we're all trained to see ourselves as just atomized individual consumers. But we're much more than that. Uh, we are brothers and sisters. I think starting at the workplace where wealth is created. Mm-hmm. We don't have a life without an economy, and we don't have an economy without workers creating wealth. Right. Whether it's services, whether it's goods, whatever it is that you may do, um, and it starts with building relationships. You may not have a union yet. A union may be a, a pretty far-fetched goal for you in your workplace as of today, mm-hmm. but what you can do is strengthen relationships, and right. you can have conversations one-on-one with your coworkers and build bridges on your shared interest 
You know, and I, that is the power of labor is to transcend some of the divisions, some of which are real, some of which are artificial and stoked by media and politics. Um, but all of us who have to sell our labor for a living, which is the vast majority of human beings here in Alabama, here in the United States and here on planet Earth. We have nothing to sell but our labor. Mm-hmm. We don't have money that makes its own money. Most right. of us don't have that. Most of us don't have businesses that we can profit off other people's work. We just have ourselves. Right. Uh, and that's why it is so important that we look out for one another, that we have each other's back. Uh, when one of us is in struggle, we show up to support that struggle because tomorrow it may be us mm-hmm. that needs backup. Right. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and that's, uh, and I, I'm so, you know, and I, I hope that every time, you know, every time there's a picket line, absolutely, like if you're a union member within even a few hours, you should be on there at least once. If you're a union member in Alabama and you haven't been on the miners picket line yet, uh, you know, like you need to get on that, right? Because these are the people at the front lines of the class war right now. Um, they're, they're, you know, it is a war. Yeah, and it has been a war. And let's, you know, I know that's been inconvenient to talk about for a long time. People don't want to acknowledge that there is such a thing as class struggle. That there is such a thing as class. Right. There's a difference between those who own and those who work. Right. Yeah, and as I, I mean, it's just you know, it's not a, uh, it's not like a, um, uh, a super ideological. You know, some people, some people that want to divide us want to make it into some sort of super ideological uh, position to say that there's a class war, but it's true. There's a class war, and the people that own, the people that hire others to do things from the wealth that they have hoarded have different interests, like just fundamentally than, uh, than workers, than people who have to sell their labor, who have to sell their bodies to a to be able to survive. We have different interests than the bosses, and we need to understand that, and we need to be able to come together as a class, to come together as workers to fight the bosses. Because there, like when when there are fundamentally different interests, there's going to be a struggle there. And the bosses understand that. And that's why the bosses are trying so hard every time there's a fight. Like today's show has shown from Brookwood, Alabama to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Fresno, California. Every time there's a fight, the bosses bring their A game. They bring everything they can. And the only way that we can bring everything we can is if we bring all of us together to fight together. Because that's all that we've got we don't have armies of money hordes of hordes of cash armies of lawyers to fight on our side we don't have politicians that we've bought we have ourselves and our labor and that is what we have to use to fight in the class war and and so you know kudos to those miners down in brookwood to the poultry plant workers in fresno and to the meat processing workers in sioux falls south dakota all power to the workers labor creates all wealth all wealth should go to labor and we'll see you next week.